Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 246. I'm your host, Derek Moore. Jay Pestercelli is taking the week off, but plenty to talk about. Really, I want to get into this whole idea of if you watch CNBC or any of the financial channels, you read financial barons, Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, whatever it is, you keep hearing uh, you know, these, these commentators or these prospectus from, uh, from pundits that, hey, you know, the market is now pricing in rate cuts. The market is pricing in rate cuts to happen sooner. If you look at the Fed funds futures, it's sort of, uh, I think it used to be July of 24. And Jay and I talked about last week, the idea of uh, Fed funds futures, it, you know, again, it's, it's a probability of right now of where things are going to be. But if you look at that, it has rate cuts. I think it was July. And now it's, it's sort of the May meeting in the Fed that the market or the futures market on Fed funds is actually pricing in a cut. But I want to ask everybody, and, I, and I've been thinking about this, why is it that it seems like, and I'm using air quotes here, that everyone who goes on TV and talks about the markets is really hoping for rate cuts? You know, we, we think the Fed is going to cut rates. Why? Why is that good? In other words, if things, if the economy is really, really good, why would the Fed need to cut? The Fed typically cuts when the economy is sort of running out of stream, steam. They want to juice the, the economy a little bit, lower rates, lower borrowing costs, stimulate maybe demand. So why is it that everyone says, oh yeah, it's, it's a really good thing if rates come down? Doesn't that imply that there's some trouble? Now, I don't know if, if the Fed is going to cut rates or not. And I've said before, when you look at the Fed funds futures, that's a point in time view. Heck, if you looked when rates were 3%, the Fed funds rate was 3%, it, if you look at those Fed funds futures, it didn't have rates going to f- over 5% like they are right now, the Fed funds rate. So take those with a grain of salt. But I just want you to think about this. What is so good about rate cuts? Well, I want to get into that. And there's some interesting info that uh, Liz Young from SoFi put out that I want to go through, which I think gives some interesting perspective as far as the data of the last hike, uh, the first cut, and what the, the S&P 500 returns are like on those two areas. The other thing I want to dig in a little bit on is the idea of the inverted yield curve. I know we've talked about it before. But I went back and I looked at the instances, you know, the last three, four, the one, the big ones, and what caused it to invert and what caused it to uninvert. Is it the same? Is it different? We'll talk about those things. So I want to go to this piece, uh, Liz Young, SoFi, uh, she put it out there in a blog. I'll, I'll put a link to it. But somebody had passed me this. And I'm going to quote some of the things she said here. Uh, Quote, part of why there's a concern that the market is prematurely celebrating is because we've seen this movie a few times before. And although not a perfect replica, the current market behavior resembles prior cycles. However, in many of those prior cycles, the period after the hikes end is not the most worrisome. It's the period right around when cuts begin that tends to bring on the most strife. So what are we talking about here? She put together a table 
that, uh, and, and I know you can't see this again, I'll link to this. So you can, you can open it up, but I thought it was an interesting uh, portrayal or capture of kind of, uh, some point in times here. And the columns are the la- the last hike rate, a hike date, sorry, the first cut date. And then it was the performance of the S&P 500 from the last hike to the first cut. So let me give you an example here. In June 29th, 2006, that was the last time the Fed raised rates. The first time they cut was September 18th of 2007. The market performance during that time from June 29, 2006 to September 18, 2007, last hike to first cut was the return was plus 22.1%. All right. Excellent. Then she goes on to say in this column, last hike to market low return from the last hike to the subsequent low was minus 53.8%. So you look back and and this kind of starts uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, you know, 10 instances. And then the question mark is the last hike date most recently was July 26th of 2023. The average return last hike to first cut is five plus 5.6%. The median is plus 1%. Last hike to market low return since 1974, average minus 22.7%, minus 19.9% median. So this kind of goes with the idea of why is it that everyone is so wanting in a hurry, thinking it's the best thing ever if the Fed is lowering rates? Like, what does that mean? Wouldn't it be good if the Fed didn't have to do anything, if they just kept rates right around 5%, or maybe they go down, I don't know, 4.5%, but they sort of stick here for a while because the economy is not overheating. We don't have rising inflation. We have stable inflation. We have a good economy, and it can sustain higher rates. And by the way, higher rates aren't all that bad. Think about the money that you have in money market funds, or, or well, I think Jay and I joked around uh, a couple months ago. I had an email, a marketing email from, I think it was Chase. And they said, hey, you know, savings rates are like (laughs) 0.1% or whatever the heck it was. You know, people can go, there's an alternative now to cash. They can go buy short duration U.S. treasuries, money market funds, things like that. But why is it that people think that if the Fed is cutting or aggressively cutting? I mean, think about it this way. If the Fed, if the Fed funds rate is, you know, effective Fed funds is right now about 5.3%. People say, well, great. What if they cut to to 2%? That'd be great. Well, why? Why would they be cutting? Because probably something is amiss in the markets. There's some weakness and the Fed needs to cut rates to try and help things. It could be that uh, rates are causing pressure in the funding markets. Could be uh, lending is really tightened up. Could be any number of things. But let me go through a few of these. So as I said, July 26, 2023, that was the date of the last hike. The first cut, don't know yet. Have no idea. 
the Fed funds futures now says, I think, May or June. All right. A couple months ago, it was later in 2024. Again, take those with a grain of salt. So if you go back to, I won't go through all these. I'll, I'll put a link to it. May 16th of 2000 was the last time. This is right before. Uh, so you think about March of 2000 was when the NASDAQ 100 reached its, its high. It was an all-time high. It actually didn't exceed the high for another 15 years later, 12, 15 years later. May 16th, 2000, the last hike date. The first cut happens January 3rd of 2001. We know that there was a recession back then, just like there was a recession in 2008, 2009. Well, if you look there from May of 2000 to January of 2001, I gave you the dates already, last hike to first cut return, minus 7.4%. Last hike to market low, minus, call it, you know, rounded 41%. So I guess the, the question is, well, it's not, a, I mean, not really a question. I'm just pointing out that lowering rates could mean there's some trouble in the markets, maybe a recession. Now, there's some interesting exceptions to the rule, and I'll get to the yield curve inversion and things like that in a second, because that, that's pretty fascinating to me as well. The exception to, to the rule is 1995, February 1st, 95, the last hike date, July 6th, 1995, the Fed starts to cut. Last hike to first cut return plus 13, uh, sorry, plus 19.2%. Great. And she actually has an asterisk in this column. And the reason is the market low occurred on the same date as the last rate hike. So that was fine. And remember, I've talked about the 94 95 period because that was where there was no yield curve inversion. And a yield curve inversion, for anyone who listening to this who's not sure what that is, sometimes people look at tens and twos, meaning is the yield on the two-year treasury bond or bill greater than the yield on the 10-year bond. Normally, bonds that are further out in maturity have a term premium or premium, and those should be yielding a higher amount in a normal rate curve than closer in maturities. The Cam Harvey one. Uh, Cam Harvey is a professor at Duke, and he sort of created the uh, the inversion, or at least you know, created it or identified it. And he uses the ten-year and the three-month treasury. So when three-month treasury yields are greater than ten-year uh, treasury bond yields, that's sort of the inversion that he looks at. And so there was no inversion in 1995. Uh, or 9495 but the fed was raising rates another exception here uh, february 1989 last hike june 5th 1989 first cut 13.3 last hike to first cut 0% last hike to market low return so it's not like it happens every time but if you look at the link in the show notes as liz points out it's not the last hike to the first cut it's what happens the last hike to the, the subsequent market low. And I guess, you know, the, the thing here is it's really a question of if you have a recession and the Fed is aggressively cutting rates or just cutting rates because of weakness, like is that is that good for the markets? I don't know. I don't know why everyone is so in a rush to get rate cuts. So the other thing I want to go through 
is this idea of the 10-3 inversion. And if I go back and I look at, uh, oh, I don't know, let's say January of 06 is right around there. And then later, you know, it, it's kind of a little bit more January 06, July 06 is when we see the, the three-month treasury bill greater than the 10-year treasury bond. Now, I will say that uh, the most that that yield curve inversion got if I look at February of 2007, three-month treasury, 5.16, 10-year uh, treasury bond, 4.56. Not as deep or as wide as it is right now. And then really when typically what happens is it uninverts. And the reason why it uninverts is because the Fed is cutting rates. So think about what happens. You have the Fed that's raising rates. They are raising rates, but at the same time, typically, you get a 10-year treasury that is coming down, meaning the yields are falling, or at least it's staying stagnant. And, and it's the Fed who is really inverting the yield curve, meaning they've jacked up short rates, the Fed funds rate greater than, uh, it winds up being greater than the 10-year. And that's odd. Reasons I said, if you buy a 10-year bond, you'd expect to get a higher rate because you are taking on risk and you're committing your money for a longer period of time. I won't get into the mechanics of that, but we've done that before. So 2006, 2007, we have the inversion and then eventually it uninverts before a recession. So I know a lot of people are looking at the yield curve inversion and then saying, you know, when is a recession coming? I don't know if it's going to come or not. I'll let you know when I know. This is why our fundamental thing that we do is we buy, but we hedge. Stay invested in the market, stay hedged. Don't try and time it. All right, there's a lot of, lot of uh, benefit, in my opinion, of doing that. So we don't try and pick markets here. But all right, so then I look at 2019. And 2019, yes, we had a yield curve inversion. Uh, we first saw it invert uh, probably May of 19. Deepest it got was August of 2019. It uninverts in late 2019. And you actually get a little bit of an inversion again uh, in, in January of 2019. I'm sorry, of 2020. So some people have said, and there's arguments on both sides, but uh, you remember what happened in February, March of 2020. Uh, if I say the, the word, I get the, uh, the Joe Rogan treatment. They slap a... Uh, you know, the, the blue warning on, uh, on Spotify or whatever it is. So I won't say the, the C word, but you all know what it is. So you see the, the inversion, it uninverts, inverts again, right before the recession. Okay. So let's go back a little bit more and let's see, oh, I don't know. We'll go back, uh, uh, let's see, 19, uh, 1990. Why not? So not a particularly deep or bad recession, 1990. But the yield curve inverts, three-month treasury yield greater than 10-year treasury bond yields in June of 1989. Well, what happens? It uninverts in October of 89, inverts again, and uninverts you know, into early 1990, and then you have a recession. So... 
the reason why I'm looking at these is if you look at these instances, and you can do this if you go to the FRED site and you search for uh, 10-3 yield curve, you can pull up a chart on that. Uh, I'd put a link to the, the way that I created this, but unfortunately, when you link to it, I've got the 10-3 the uh, line and then on a separate axis, I've got the, the yield on the three-month um, maturity uh, treasury bill. I've got the yield on the tenure. And so, and then I have the FUD, Fed funds rate. Unfortunately, I can't, if I just linked, you know, I can't link to it and then have you pull up with all the lines on there, you, but you can go in and edit the graph and add these. So the typical way that this works is the Fed is, you know, let's say uh, yields on the tenure treasury bond tend to be higher. And the Fed is raising rates. Typically, we know historically the Fed is raising rates because either inflation or I think the economy is too hot and they want to cool it off. That's a generalization. And what happens is they raise the Fed funds rate. And typically, if you look at these, they raise the, the Fed funds rate, the interest rate, short, very short term. Fed does that. They keep raising. And they raise to a point where it is greater than the 10-year. And three-month Treasury bills tend to, you know, they tend to to really mirror. They may not mirror it exactly in the in the exact number, but sort of if Fed funds is going up, you'd expect three month Treasury bills to go up as well. And the ten year Treasury bond is is more a proxy for nominal GDP. I've talked about that before. So if you think about this sequence, the Fed is raising rates. They invert the curve. And typically, they're raising rates because they want to slow down growth. And then what happens? Well, it typically uninverts because the Fed is lowering rates. And almost, uh, I'd have to go back and, you know, the data here, I, I don't have the, the, the early 1980s, all the data. I could certainly do that at some point. But typically, that's what happens. The Fed inverts it and the Fed uninverts it. But the reason why it gets uninverted is because the Fed is lowering rates. There's some issue where they want to juice the economy. And it happens again and again and again. Could this time be different? Well, for a while, it looked like, and this has been a very, very steep inversion. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is the difference between the 10-year treasury bond and the, and the three-month treasury bill has been very, very wide. If I, if I give you an example, uh, you know, if I go, let's say, I don't know, back in May, 10-year was 3.69%. Three-month yield on the, uh, on the U.S. T-bill was about 5.55%. And, and it's fluctuated here and there. That's a very wide difference. Now, I've heard interviews with Cam Harvey a, a couple, a while ago, and, and he didn't have any, I wouldn't say, explanation is not the right word, but he didn't have any significance yet to the size of the inversion. But so it looked like, uh, and if you look, you know, mid, very end of October, that was the narrowest it's been. It was still inverted. I mean, it was like 5.6 on three month, 4.95 on 10 year. And more recently, it's gotten a little bit wider where the difference between those two is, is widened out a little bit. So, but it, it is interesting because if let's say the Fed kept rates where they are and long-term rates 
rose, and that's what uninverted the yield curve, it would be atypical or abnormal compared to the other times we've had the inverted yield curve. So more often than not, it uninverts before a recession, and it's because the Fed is lowering rates. They're anticipating that weakness is there, anticipating that a recession could be on the horizon, and it is time to lower rates. So, all right. So I wanted to take people through that and give you a little more context on it, the way I look at it, a little bit of the history here, because I know that the market, or should I say a lot of people in the market, are really hoping that rates drop. They're hoping that rates drop because they want something like the 94-95 experience, which as I get older, I realize not a lot of people were in the markets back then. But the 94-95 experience was the Fed had raised rates. I think that's the right tense to use. They, were, they kept raising the rate. And this is the Greenspan Fed. And by the way, earnings were still growing. Earnings were pretty good in 94, the growth. Uh, 95 positive as, as well. They're raising rates and they start cutting mid 95, brought them down, but didn't, and they only brought them down to four and a half or so from memory. And the market took off 95 to March of 2000, a really, really good bull run there. And so that's what people are hoping for. That could ab absolutely happen. Why not? I'm also saying, though, is what everyone is rooting for typically happens because there is weakness. And that's the point of the discussion today. Hopefully that's helpful in sort of framing things. The other thing I wanted to review today is just a lot of armchair, and as am I, armchair economists, I like to say. And what is it that the National Bureau of Economic Research would look for to try and call a recession? Remember, there's, there is a committee uh, National Bureau of Economic Research, NBER, and they date, uh, date what's called the, the business cycle, and they call it business cycle dating. And the main criteria are as follows, real personal income, less transfers. So this is something you can, you can pull up if you, you, know, you search for it online or on the, the Federal Reserve Bank of uh, St. Louis, FRED, uh, Fred uh, is a great resource where you can type in things, try and pull it up, but real personal income, less transfers. Transfer payments are things like the government sending checks to people or unemployment checks or uh, stimulus checks, you know, anything like that. So it's real personal income. And is it growing? Is it, is it uh, collapsing? Is it going down? And real personal income just says, after inflation. In other words, if income goes up 10%, but inflation is 10%, we, you really had no growth. A non-farm payroll employment. How many people are employed? What's the rate? Things like that. Employment is measured by the household survey. There is the, there's two different surveys when it goes to employment. The household survey is where they call people and they get a sample and they call enough people and they say, uh, do you have a job? Okay, great. Uh, don't have a job? Okay. Have you been looking X number, you know, within the, uh, the last few weeks or so? Uh, yeah, I've been looking. Okay, good. You're unemployed. And, and not good, but I mean, you're considered unemployed. Or no, I'm good. I, I, I don't have a job. I'm not even looking. Or I've given up and it's been a very long time. So 
those folks would not be in the labor force. All right. Other things that people look at, real personal consumption expenditures. So there's that word real again, adjusted for inflation. Wholesale retail sales adjusted for price changes. That's another way of saying real, meaning after inflation. Real retail sales, by the way, I believe it peaked in March of 21. I don't have it in front of me right now, uh, which is sort of interesting in itself. Industrial production. Uh, the There is a note here on the NBER's uh, website. And so the committee has put the most weight on these items in, in recent decades. And they have some asterisks there. And two of the ones that apparently they, they put more weight in is the real personal income, less transfers, and non-farm payroll employment. So if you wanted to play armchair economist, you want to be watching the BLS Bureau of Labor Statistics, as they bring out non-farm payroll numbers, meaning you know, how many people are working, what's the rate, what's the unemployment rate. You can dig into those reports as well. And Jay and I talked about it last week. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. The idea of, uh, is, it, is the workforce growing? Is labor force participation growing? And that means there's non-institutional population, uh, people who are of age, who are uh, not in uh, in prison, I guess for, for lack of a better term, right? They say non-institutional population. And they look at people that are working or looking for work within you know that, that number of weeks period. And they say, what's the labor force participation rate? So that's something. And then you can look, say, okay, is labor force growing? Is it shrinking? Did more people enter the labor force? Do more people have jobs? What's the unemployment rate? The unemployment rate is those that are unemployed into the the size of the uh, the labor force. Remember, if you're unemployed and not looking, you're not considered unemployed. So that that's sort of where you could be doing this, and, and you could be looking at these. And look, I don't know if a recession is going to come or not. I will tell you that it is. Everyone's been calling for a recession, and I can almost guarantee you here, I'll say guarantee that at some point we'll have another recession. I said the same thing in probably 2013. I said, I don't know when it's coming, but at some point we'll have another recession. So, all right. Kind of think about what we talked about today. I thought it was really interesting how Liz Young from SoFi, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, broke down the S&P returns from the last hike to the first cut and, and that sort of breakdown. I thought that was really interesting work there. We talked about the idea of the yield curve inversion. What is it? When does it happen? Typically, we see it unin or it uninvert, meaning long rates are greater than short rates again. You typically actually see that before a recession. And you know why is that? Well. Most times the Fed is raising rates and they raise them to a point where it inverts the curve, short rates greater than long rates. And typically it's when it uninverts, it's the Fed lowering rates and the lowering rates because there's some weakness in the economy. And so I'll throw it to everybody. Why is everyone on CNBC or going on there saying, well, we think it's going to be really good if the Fed lowers rates? Why? Doesn't that imply there's some weakness? I'd rather see personally, and who the heck, what do I know, right? And I, although I've been doing, I mean, I've, it's been 30 plus years. 
I, I like to think I know a lot about this uh, markets. But it's, you know, ideally for me, why not have rates stick where they are, the economy grow, people get more money, more of a real return on their cash. There's options for cash. And by the way, uh, some strategies that we run get really interesting. We can combine treasuries and then do some things with options over those treasuries because we're sort of getting the, the yield, using that as collateral, and then doing some other things to generate either income or get long exposure, notional exposure on the market. So all good stuff. All right. So next week, Jay will probably be back with me. And uh, good to have this one uh, do a little deep dive. See everyone next week. I don't have any. Oh, before I go, I'm trying to think if I have any recommendations. I, I didn't prepare. I did not prepare. We've been busy this week. So uh, we'll talk to you all soon. Have a great one.